Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. ...has been found and is okay. Uh, right now, it is time for On Bells with Leland Vitter. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. I'll see you right back here tomorrow night. On the program tonight, criticism of this. Told the police they either lock me up tonight or it's going to get lit. It's going to be a move. Is racist. Mom, if I go to jail, you know what a bell money is. The ridiculous charge leveled by Meatball's attorney. Freedom real, whoever got locked up, you down. Everybody keep it going, keep it going. Why the real victims are Meatball's kids. Law and order. President Trump goes on trial this is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. Why this will juice Trump's poll numbers just like the indictments did. This judge should be disbarred. He shouldn't be allowed to be a judge. And could this? My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. Soon go the way of the dinosaur. A donut hole in a donut's hole. Why the southern accent will soon be a thing of the past. Why does a chicken cross the road? The answer is to have a ball. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. We're in Chicago tonight and we begin with Philadelphia. Although what we're going to talk about is a problem here in Chicago as well. Victimhood creates more victims. And it's clear now a whole generation of kids believe it's okay to loot and riot when you are bored. It's okay because you are a victim and therefore entitled to act however you want. That's not a recipe for becoming a productive member of society. Over the weekend, we've gotten new video of the looting in Philadelphia over the last week. You might remember last week we introduced you to Meatball, an Instagram influencer arrested for looting last week, and her attorney says, well, it is all our fault. Literally ours, the media's. It sickens me to witness the media's complicity in what can only be described as an all-out assault on black and brown people as their character and actions are mercilessly vilified. We, of course, invited the attorney on, but she declined. You can only imagine part of her outrage is directed at us personally. Last week, we talked at length about Meatball and how she could star in a documentary about the moral decay among America's black youth. Her comments just before the riot could be in the opening trailer. Mom, if I go to jail, you know what a bell money is. Oh, shoot, what they doing? What they doing? Oh, my God. What are they doing? Oh, my God, the cops, the cops, the cops. 
case you missed what she said off the top, she said, Mama, I'm going to tell you where the bail money is. Meatball's attorney tells us that she is the victim of just racism. The real victims through all of this will be Meatball's kids and the current or future children of those looting. And the Philadelphia Police Department put out a lot of new video of the people who did it and who ran into stores and ran out with televisions. The answer is none or very little hope exists for the children of the looters. They won't get help in the schools. CBS Philadelphia reports Philadelphia schools near bottom in academic performance. That's for both reading and math. They won't get help from their parents because the parents are out looting. Remember Meatball. Mom, am I going to jail? You know where the bell money is. Oh, shit. What they doing? What they doing? Oh, my God. What are they doing? Oh, my God. The cops, the cops, the cops. And Meatball predictably went to jail and got bailed out. She now joins millions of Americans whose kids will predictably have a much harder time in life. Even the ultra-left-leaning Atlantic views this as a problem. All the way back in December of 2015, they wrote about how families pay the never-ending price for criminal record. Nearly half of all American children have a parent with a criminal record creating barriers to jobs, housing, and education for everyone in the family. So that is the future for Meatball's kids. By pointing that out, we are racist. Because you see, Meatball is the true victim here. With us now, Georgia State Representative Misha Maynard, who left the Democratic Party over a number of issues earlier this year. Misha, it's good to see you. I, look, put, put Meatball aside, in her case aside, for a second. It'll be up to a jury. Who is looking out? for this next generation of urban black youth, urban black and brown communities? Certainly not the elected leaders that are part of the Democrat Party. Um, The reason I say that is this. One of the things that's happening here in Georgia, especially in districts that I represent in Atlanta, Georgia, 2% of the kids know how to read. 3% are meeting math proficiency. And so your intro is really sad, but it's also comical at the same time. And I really don't even know, I'm scratching my head, I don't even know where to begin. Um, This is a sad story. Kids should not be out looting. Um, But in the same breath, you know, they also don't even know other options because they're in environments where Democrats are saying that it's okay to be in failing schools. What I personally would like to see is more workforce development opportunities. What I would like to see is showing these kids that, you know what, there is so much more than looting. Um, You have an entire life ahead of you. Um, There's so much more than just being on public assistance. But if the Democrats are going to continue to push out policies of public assistance, um, $1,000 food stamp check. Why not go through a workforce development program and make $80,000 in a certificate-based program where you don't need a high school diploma or even a college degree? There are opportunities out there where Democrats are actually suppressing um, those options for people. This is really sad on many levels. Well, it's it's tragic, right? And the people, I think, actually, who are, are hurt the most, right, are the people who are supposedly being helped by all these Project because as you as you point out, if you can't read and write, um, there there's not a lot of hope. You don't know anything different. You haven't been taught anything different. 
Um, there has been this this drumbeat, right, that if you bring these issues up and you talk about them honestly, even compassionately, um, as you're doing, then somehow you're a racist, right? Voter ID is racist. The education system is racist. The healthcare system is racist. Homeownership is racist. The criminal justice system is racist. All these things are racism. Therefore, you can't talk about um, this issue. You bring up education. I agree with you. Education is a real problem. But how much of it also is a problem of, of, a, of a lack of parenting? We know that 73% of students attending highly selective colleges came from married birth parent families. We know that single family, the single parent families have a much, much harder time, those kids do, to get ahead in life. And that, that part and the moral education at home part isn't talked about at all. You know, this is a cyclic problem. Um, this is a problem of generational poverty. And so it is easy to say that it's harder. Well, it's first let me say it's true. It's true that it's harder for a child to go forward if they're coming from a single parent home. But that still goes back to, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but Meatball, it still goes back to Meatball that she most likely is coming from a household that is also a one-parent household. And so this continues if we continue to not actually say the truth. So you're right. Um, The Democrats want to say that um, we live in a woke society when the truth is they are not awake. They are trying to continue to get people like Meatball. They want them to stay asleep to the truth. It benefits them to keep black people oppressed in these situations. This is not helpful for black people. This is not helpful for these kids. This is not helpful, dare I say, Meatball. Well, as you said, it would it would be funny in a way if it wasn't so sad and didn't have such horrible consequences. We appreciate you talking about this. Thank you. I know you've gotten a lot of criticism in Georgia for for being willing to talk about this. And we really admire it. We're glad to have you. Thank you again, Misha. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Taylor Swift is so famous. This is pretty wild that when her boyfriend catches a pass on Sunday night football, they show her on television not the players celebrating. In for the touchdown! The Jersey kid back in his home state for six. Taylor Swift and Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, well, they have a new love, and it unites two worlds. The Swifties, made up of mostly liberal young women, and NFL fans, the self-described leaders of alpha male world, though, don't like that much. It's very odd. The NFL tweeted out, we had the best day with you picture of Taylor Swift at the games and NFL fans erupted. I'm throwing up, shaking with rage and weeping for the loss of our country. Nick Adams wrote on Twitter, who is the biggest traitor of them all? Travis Kelsey, Mike Pence, Benedict Arnold. Dr. Owen Strachan's new book is The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. And he's we're here with us now. It's good to see you, sir. We appreciate it. Um, I'm trying to understand, how did we get here? Yeah, well, you're asking me when I have in my house some some Taylor Swift fans. So uh, I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here for just a second with regard to Taylor Swift. But I will say, in terms of our culture, we've been breathing the air of woke feminism for some time now. And we're, we've reached a point where women are really seen as the adults and men are seen as the kids. And the reality is men have sin to deal with. We all have our issues and struggles that we have to handle. But fundamentally, our culture has declared now 
nowadays that men are toxic and boys and young men hear this commonly and it has real effects on us. It causes us to platform women and look down on the men who are playing on the field right in front of us. All right. So what I think is interesting, though, about this is you'd think that this would be the perfect example of what, quote unquote, alpha men or or sort of people who want to go back to the way society was in the way society viewed men would be right. Beautiful singer who is a successful woman who's in the stadium cheering for her boyfriend, who is an NFL star, who is playing the man's game of the National Football League. And yet he's being vilified as somehow that's not manly enough. I I just I kind of don't get it, even if I take your argument at face value. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I would be quite so dramatic in how I would respond to Travis Kelsey in this situation. Uh, I'm not an expert on Kelsey, but I can say that football is one of the last remaining environments where men are allowed to be men today and men are allowed to be aggressive, assertive, take risks, contact sports, hit people. This is because boys and men are wired to want this sort of aggression and contact. On average, boys have 2,000% or 3,000% more testosterone than girls. That's why people are tuning in, at least historically, to watch football. It's not typically the celebrity stuff. It's because we are wired to like action, and we want to see men be heroic and courageous. Yeah, It's kind of wild, though, right, now that, that this relationship has happened. Uh, 27 million average viewers, teen girl viewership up 53 percent, most watched Sunday night show since Super Bowl. Uh, I think that's 57. Um, it's, mm. it's just sort of wild in the in the way that the Taylor Swift is, is taken um, this over. There was an interesting New York Times piece, I thought, a couple of uh, months ago or so um, about how masculinity and the gender gap um, defines political view, how you view men is the single biggest identifier of your politics. How did something like boys will be boys, men will be men, girls will be girls, how did that become political? And I, I, I appreciate the book and your desire to, to get back to that, but is this doesn't seem like this is a genie you can put back in the bottle. Well, I don't see how we're going to outside of faith in, in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, because the reality is at the beginning, if you don't believe in God, and God has been attacked as a being, but also as a concept in America for about 20 to 25 years in strenuous fashion, if you deny that we are created beings, and if you think that we are evolved apes or magic dust drifting in the air that have happened to take this complex form, then you're not going to have a worldview that can uh, give you an explanation for why there are men and women, boys and girls. It really only works if there is a creator who designs men and women, boys and girls to be complementary and work together and form families and be married and have kids and these sorts of realities. But outside of faith in the God of the Bible, I'm not sure how you're going to put that genie back in the bottle. The good news is if we go back to foundational principles, we can. Hmm. Now, I wonder, I wonder if there's a way to put it back in the bottle if it doesn't relate to faith. But a conversation uh, for another time. we got to run, Doc. I appreciate you being here. A fascinating book. We'll have you back, as, uh, as you point out. Um, either if, if Travis uh, and, and Taylor break up, it's a story. If they don't break up, it's a story. We're, we have a lot to talk about. We'll talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Uh, we talked to you on Friday about Ozempic. Um, and how the elites in America can get it, but they're not willing to push the insurance companies to pay for you to have it. Aside from being good for many heavy Americans' waistlines, apparently the drug could also be good for the bottom line 
of airlines, not the waistline. Bloomberg writes, if the average flyer lost 10 pounds, airlines would save $80 million a year. The average United flight would be about 1,800 pounds lighter. They would save 27.6 million gallons of gas, not just the airlines. Jeffries writes, other industries would benefit from the weight loss drug. Healthcare industry, pharmaceuticals, apparel, and cosmetics. As we first told you last week, if Medicare and private insurance companies paid for weight loss drugs, it would save the country nearly $1.5 trillion over the next 30 years because people on weight loss drugs would have lower BMIs associated with fewer doctor's visits, hospitalizations, and weight loss surgeries. We'll keep watching it. It was not a big deal when the border states had to deal with a complete mess. But today, another liberal northern governor is crying for help, not in their backyards, but at the border. Bill O'Reilly joins us with an outcome he's predicting for years. And former President Trump on trial in New York in a case he seemed to admit he's going to lose. How that loss might help him in his quest for a second term. He valued Mar-a-Lago at $18 million, and it's worth a billion dollars, maybe a billion five. Illinois is now the latest northern liberal state to raise a white flag when it comes to the growing migrant crisis. The state's governor, J.B. Pritzker, just penned an urgent SOS letter to the White House, which reads as a cry for help. As the numbers being transported to Chicago are accelerating, the humanitarian crisis is overwhelming our ability to provide aid to the refugee population. Mr. President, I urge you, Secretary Marcus, and the rest of your administration to take swift action. He wasn't the only one. Here's New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, in an interview with CBS. We want them to have a limit on who can come across the border. It is too open right now. Uh, People coming from all over the world are finding their way through, simply saying they need asylum. And the majority of them seem to be ending up in the streets of New York. And that is a real problem for New York City. With us now, host of the No Spin News, Bill O'Reilly. Bill, it's good to see you as always. I remember watching you back in high school and you were ringing the alarm bells about the border. Was this inevitable, this, this moment? No. No, we had it under control in the last week, uh, last year of the Trump administration, where um, illegal border crossings were down 80% because of the Remain in Mexico policy. But the first day Joe Biden took office, he wiped that out with an executive order that basically says there's an open border, that anybody can uh, apply for asylum and stay in the United States while the case is adjudicated. That led to seven, maybe eight million asylum seekers coming across the border in an organized fashion as the cartels directed them, told them exactly what to do, and that Joe Biden will let you stay for as long as you want to stay. And so the madness now is caught up with all the progressive mayors like old J.B. Pritzker, who issued his letter today um, whining that the state of Illinois has spent $330 million with no insight to uh, fulfill the needs of the poor migrant people. And they are poor. I mean, no, no yeah. sane person blames the migrants. That's crazy. It's Biden's fault, 100%. And now his party is turning on him because... The pain is being felt by the individual taxpayers in California, Illinois, New York, and other liberal states. 
Um, and, yeah, Massachusetts among know, them. I, I think about this. Letter, I, yeah, prisoner's letter is stunning. I just want to read one part from you for you. First and foremost, right, I recommend that there be one person in the federal government who works directly for you in the White House, who can lead the oversight of our nation's efforts at the border. I thought Kamala Harris was the border czar. So did I. Um, but Kamala didn't want any part of this. Look, Pritzker is posturing. He knows the people in Illinois are furious, as they are in New York and California. Okay. Tomorrow, tonight, if you could wake him up, Joe Biden has a pen. Here's a pen, Joe. All right, he has a paper. Here's a paper like Barack Obama had. All he has to do is write an executive order that says... I, the president of the United States, are suspending requests for asylum for a year until we can adjudicate the problem that we have. That would take, what, two minutes? And then all asylum seekers would be turned back, 100% of them, because the United States would not be accepting any more applications. So J.B., not smart enough to figure that out, and even if he did, he wouldn't say it anyway, because it would alienate his progressive base. Um, this is all, again, smoke and mirrors. Hochul and Newsom and, and Pritzker want people to think that they're concerned, that they're on the folks' side, that they, this is out of control and Biden has to do anything, something about it. Biden's not going to do anything about it, OK, because he doesn't have the money. The federal government is broke. And so are the state governments. That's why you can't have unfettered immigration. It's got to be regulated. So this is all a charade. Again, executive order puts an end to it. Got to fire Mayorkas and get somebody in there who knows what he's doing. Um, But Biden's not going to do any of this. He barely knows what day it is. I don't think he's going to do anything about it. I I have to give you credit, though, really, and go back in time as you've talked about this. Thank you. I mean, I was. Look. No, you were. We got a clip of it from 2015. Take a listen. The left wants open borders, no restrictions on those who come here, no detention, no physical barrier, no deportation proceedings unless a serious crime other than illegal entry is committed. And if you disagree with that, you are promoting an anti-immigrant police state. All right, that was 2015. You predicted that well, right. and now to 90,000 copies of Killing Witches that was just sold uh, about the Salem witch trials. I wonder, and we're going to talk about the, the Trump trial in the next segment, but I wonder if there is not some parallels in your predictions to where America was going in 2014 as it related to the border crisis, to where America is going today with the weaponization of our legal system and in your book. The parallel of killing the witches is this. The cancel woke culture has taken deep root and it's hysterical. They're hysterical. Okay, that's why the book sold 90,000 copies in six days. I tell you the roots of it in Salem. I bring you up to the present day. And next time you have me on, I'll talk about Taylor Swift and why she should be playing wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We almost had you on that topic. It would have been a lot of fun. Uh, Bill, it's always good to see you. And uh, I, look, you called this all along on the border. So I know a lot of people doubted. It's good to see you. Thank you. I did. As we said, President Trump spent the day in a New York courtroom. The opening video of his fraud trial was pretty incredible. A former president sitting there 
Lahita James, the New York Attorney General, staring him down. Of course, she promised all along that she was going to get Donald Trump. She ran on getting Donald Trump. And then is there is the judge mugging, you might say, as he oversaw the trial, the opening of the trial. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a rogue judge who rules that properties are worth a tiny fraction, one one hundred, a tiny fraction of what they actually are. We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show who ran on the basis that she was going to get Trump before she even knew anything about me. If history holds, his poll numbers will only go up as they have after the past four indictments. Anthony Scaramucci is here, a.k.a. The Mooch, former White House communications director for Donald Trump. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. What do you make of the fact that Donald Trump chose to be in court? I mean, think about a politician who chooses to make the fact that he's in court a, a spectacle hour after hour after hour for the cameras. Well, listen, politically, I think it's great theater for Mr. Trump. And I think he has correctly assessed his base is going to support him. You put up the four indictments, the poll numbers keep going up. But more importantly for Mr. Trump, there are the donations. And so they're sending out swaths of email traffic, robocalls, et cetera. And they're raising money off of this stuff. And so those photo ops are helping him because... In their minds, he's an aggrieved victim. We can debate whether or not that's the case, but he has them believing it. Yeah, you were the communications director, and I I wanted to get your take on this, because as we looked up at the coverage today, wall-to-wall coverage on CNN and MSNBC uh, about the Donald Trump trial today. Yet when Trump came out to speak at the end of the day, the leading candidate for president in the Republican Party, uh, my boss called me. And he pointed out that News Nation was taking Donald Trump live. Uh, but CNN and MSNBC, who had spent the entire day covering this, didn't take him. And I'm, I'm wondering what you make of, one, the editorial decision, but number two, perhaps, just the fundamental fairness here. And for networks that keep talking about how dangerous Donald Trump is, they have an, an incredible fascination with covering him and no interest in letting him speak. Well, listen, I can only provide you my editorial feeling about that. It is a mistake. They're trying to make up for the countless free media they gave him in 2016 and the necessary media they gave him when he was a sitting president. And so that's why he's not on their shows. But I think that is a terrible mistake for them because, again, it feeds into his narrative that they're in the tank for the Democratic Party and that they're doing things that are less than objective as it relates to what used to be a media standard. So I applaud you guys for running it. Whatever my disagreements are with the president, he is a former president of the United States that is on trial in his home state. And so that's a pretty incredible news story. And the fact that they're omitting it, I think, is a disaster for them editorially. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll let, we'll let the viewers decide. We, we don't exclude any opinions here. We just tell both sides of the story. Um, Lahita James uh, campaigned on this idea of getting Trump and made no made no bones about it. Take a listen. I say one name, Donald Trump. That should motivate you. Get off your ass and vote. Will you, will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's got to know my name personally. 
What I think is interesting is just from a standpoint, even as you, somebody who is who has come out against the former president, against yeah. your former boss. Mm-hmm. If you think that sort of all of this coverage and all of this weaponization and going after him in all of these very unique ways, for people who say that he is this massive danger to democracy, they do an awful lot to play into his hand of being the aggrieved victim, which keeps helping his poll numbers. Well, listen, and I don't have anything personally against the president. I just think his temperament this time in our nation's history and the tribalism that we're all experiencing, I would like to see somebody who could be more transformative and unify the country. And I think uh, President Biden and President Trump have both proven that they can't do that. But as it relates specifically to what she's doing, that's a politician at work. And by the way, that worked for her. She got resoundingly reelected. Moreover, the Republican candidate that was running against Kathy Hochul was a pro-Trumper. Okay, Lee Zeldin, as you recall, and I think that really hurt him in the polls. There was a real opportunity for a Republican gubernatorial candidate like George Pataki in 1994, a 12-year run for a Republican, to win in this state and to start cleaning up the mess, whether it's the migration story, the homeless, the crime in the state. And so you just have to accept the city and state of New York are anti-Trump. Now, does he have supporters here? Certainly Uh, But the polls are decidedly against him. She's a politician. And so she played right into that. How could we expect anything less from our current crop of politicians? That's exactly how they're acting in today's America. Uh, You said said it well. Can't expect anything less. Used to be you couldn't expect anything more. Um, Good to see you as always, Anthony. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Coming up next, the man who keeps saying he's not running against Trump makes another move that has everyone saying he's running against Trump. The insights into Gavin Newsom. Tonight's Newsom Watch is next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, tonight's edition of Newsom Watch, another thing that wasn't probably on your 2023 bingo cards, California Governor Gavin Newsom just announced He would fill the open California Senate seat with someone not from California, from Maryland. Bapanoza Butler uh, will be the first openly gay member of the Senate. She currently runs the progressive pro-choice group Emily's List. Federal Election Commission's filings dated the end of August show Butler currently living in Maryland, but will reportedly switch her voter registration to California. Chris Steyerwald is here. Uh, closer and closer to running for president, even though he says he is not. Why? Why would that? Why? Why does? Why does she make you think that the, he is uh, closer to running to running for president? It feels as though he is doing everything possible to announce that he is ready and doing everything and anything possible to ingratiate himself to the progressive left in a way that is readying his 2024 2028 run. Feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Well, if he were only just the governor of California, he would want to do that because the progressive left 
in California is the power center for this for state politics. That's that's the engine that drives state politics. And with his appointment, he's choosing somebody who was an aide to Kamala Harris. He's choosing somebody who spent a lot of time in progressive uh, California Democratic politics. And of course, Emily's list is the nay plus ultra, the the maybe the outside of uh, government worker unions, the mo- single most important entity uh, in progressive politics. So w- whatever he's doing, uh, this looks like a very smart pick because it is somebody who's not going to run for re-election uh, and leaves the lane open for what's going to be a very contentious primary fight in California and satisfies the promise that he made when he was replacing an African-American woman with a with a dude uh, that he would pick a black woman for the next vacancy. So he gets to he gets to check that box, too. I know none of our hypothetical options, Michelle Obama, Oprah, Kamala Harris, or Meghan Markle, appears to have come, come true. And I know, you, I know you predicted that, so I'm going to give you uh, the point and the win um, on that. Uh, coming up, uh, I know you have some focus groups in Iowa with voters there. And I'm wondering if these kinds of issues, Gavin Newsom, who you point on and on and on, if those are the kinds of issues that even came up, even moved the meter at all with the focus groups. No, the uh, Gavin Newsom is certainly prepared that if Joe Biden were to step aside uh, or become unable to seek another term, that Gavin Newsom would be a a prodigious contender uh, for that slot, even uh, given Kamala Harris uh, as his vice president. Um, For Republican voters in Iowa, the the folks we talked to in our focus group, they don't think about that stuff. They're they're thinking about what kind of Republican uh, they'd like to have because they think Joe Biden would be easy to beat. He probably won't be. Uh, they so they're thinking about that number one. But number two, they're thinking about protecting and defending Donald Trump. They're thinking about not a primary between Donald Trump and the rest of the Republican field. They're thinking about a primary of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden in the Justice Department, and that is why as the criminal consequences and charges and civil consequences for Donald Trump have continued to pile up, they have rallied to him because they're not thinking about him as a choice among many for Republican uh, nominees. They're thinking about standing by their man uh, under what they say is a two-tier justice system and all very unfair. So that was the fascinating dynamic to me, was that it's not about the Republican field. It's about defending Trump against Joe Biden. To that point, and we got into this a little bit with Scaramucci earlier uh, in the show, is there an argument to be made that all of these people, whether it be members of the media or whether it be uh, prosecutors, the Justice Department, on and on, who say that they are effectively prosecuting Donald Trump to protect democracy and protect America, are actually, in the end, only hardening his support among people who would rather not support him? Well, I mean, uh, by that reasoning, though, you'd say that Donald Trump sends it, it would it would only strengthen Donald Trump to prosecute him, that he should just be allowed to do whatever he wants to do all of the time. Uh, the that that slippery slope would take you into some very strange spaces very quickly. I don't know what the motivations for the attorney general of New York or what anybody's particular motivations are. But I will say this. That for Donald Trump, it's true that for now, Republicans say, we're, we're sticking by our guy. You can't take him down. As consequences pile up and as this goes on and on and on, there will be scuffage, right? There will be Republicans are thinking about electability. They want to beat Joe Biden. And if it hurts Donald Trump in the long run with persuadable voters, that may have a trickle down effect inside the Republican caucuses and primaries. 
It would not be a hit with Chris Steyerwald if I didn't either learn something about food or a new word. Scuffage uh, is now on the list of <laughs> Steyerwaldisms. It's good scuffage. to see you, my friend. Little scuffage. Little scuffage. You bet. I like that. All right. New details on a nine-year-old girl who was found safe after she disappeared on a New York camping trip. Some incredible things uh, about what happened over the past 48 hours with this nine-year-old girl and how she is now back with her family. Parents' worst nightmare over. A lot of other parts of this story just beginning. We'll see you in a minute. Boy, that's something we didn't think would happen. Breaking news out of New York. The New York State Police say they have found a missing nine-year-old girl who vanished Saturday about 200 miles north of New York City. She was at a campsite with her family, went for a bike ride, and was believed to be abducted. Friends and families, you just saw, celebrated some very good news about Charlotte Center. Breaking uh, really just in the past hour now. Chris is here, uh, and you got this coming up uh, tonight on the show. Yeah, we have uh, details about just how extraordinary uh, this is. This is a time for hype. Uh, I've been doing this almost 30 years. I can count on one hand, if I had a couple of broken fingers, how many times a kid who's been gone over 24 hours has been recovered safe and sound. Uh, Especially when they've been abducted by a guy like this. This is the exact monster scenario that parents uh, like me and my wife live in fear of still, even though our kids are getting a little older. And we're going to take you through how it happened who this guy was, and just how ever-present the risk is. But this is a now a great story with a phenomenal and rare ending. Yeah, we she's at the hospital, so to be fair, we don't know what, what well, she they have to do that. over those They have to do that. There's almost hours. no yeah. chance that she's unharmed, just emotionally, psychologically. This amount of time right. uh, with this, you know, w- with this uh, terrible person, and that's what he is, um, is going to take a toll. And but to have the chance to recover and to be able to work through it, kids are very resilient and we'll learn more about what she endured and how she got out of it. And I guarantee you she had a role in her own survival, even though she's a kid. I guarantee you that story is going to come out. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm so happy we're able to do this story together because you said uh, rightly uh, you can count on one hand with a couple broken figures. The number of times that if somebody's missing for more than 24 hours, a young a young girl, especially that, that we have a happy ending to this, and we do. And it's just, it's phenomenal. Um, and at the same time, I think you're really right, right to point out how real the danger out there is. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Um, I got about 20 seconds, but so we know who this guy is. You're going to be able to take us through that. Yeah. And uh, oh, right. the extraordinary work to catch him. We got amazing people who work on the investigative side here. Anybody who wants to question our institutions, our first responders are some of the best people you'll ever meet in your life. And this is proof of why. Yeah, uh, if you're in trouble, uh, the New York State Police and the FBI on your side is not uh, is probably the best in the world you could hope for. All right, Chris, thank you. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Coming up, few things define Southern culture like the accent. Now, the Yankee influx post-COVID might be ruining, well, that too in the South. I do have a few new redneck words for you. Uh, First one, mayonnaise. (laughs) Mayonnaise, a lot of people here this evening. 
Redneck comedian Jeff Foxworthy. And now we regret to inform you that the famous Southern accent might be a thing of the past. New research by the University of Georgia and Georgia Tech shows the influx of Yankees, and there have been a lot of them heading south because of COVID. Well, all the Yankees are destroying one of the South's most identifiable features. Not their food yet, but their accents. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, Southern baby boomers evidently still have the famous Southern drawl. But starting with Gen X and certainly with millennials, now Gen Z, they speak with far less of an accent than their parents do. With that, Professor John Forrest of the University of Georgia is with us. Professor, thanks so much. Um, is it that simple now that just because there's so many more Yankees around without accents, then people just don't pick it up in the same way? Well, it, it, it's not. It, that always happens with uh, people moving into an area. Um, whenever you have a lot of different people with a lot of different accents, a lot of times things that are really tied to a region might not stick around and they shift over time. Um, so with places like Atlanta growing as fast as they do in the south, um, you have a lot of people from a lot of places. Um, so there are a lot of options on how to talk, and it tends to change over time. All right, so you think about the South, right? You think about three things, uh, at least I do. I think about food, I think about football, and you think about the, the Southern accent, right? How much is of a cultural identity, shall we say, is tied to an accent? That's a really great question. Um, I, I think for some people, it really is tied to their accent, and for other people, it really isn't. Um, probably part of the reason some people in the South, like for younger folks, don't speak with a Southern accent is they don't really feel like that particular accent is super important to their identity. I've talked with a lot of uh, people in interviews about this, and sometimes they will say, like, this is important. Sometimes they'll say, like, food traditions and other things you were bringing up, like biscuits, gravy, whatever, being polite. They'll say those things, but maybe not the accent as much. So it can be part of your identity, but maybe not for the younger folks we're seeing here. Interesting. I'm, I'm thinking as, as things go, right, you know, and I know that the South has a particular um, dislike of, of us Yankees coming down there um, and ruining things. That, that Ugga, for example, the, the mascot at UGA, will not be replaced by a Labradoodle or anything like that um, anytime soon. But how, how much of this is just osmosis, right? More, more Northerners, less Southern accents in school, therefore kids just don't pick it up as much, versus... People sort of saying, look, there's, for lack of a better term, some discrimination, at least a little bit of um, uh, arrogance about those who have Southern accents uh, and, and what that says about them and their, their abilities and people trying to intentionally lose it. So it's a little bit of both, right? Like when you're growing up, you're kind of forming what you want to be as a person. Um, so when you hear a bunch of people around you, you kind of associate that with certain kinds of things. Um, a lot of times when I interview with people, they'll tell me that, you know, if they do have a Southern accent, they may be considered to be uneducated or something like that, which is obviously a bad thing. Um, and, but people like when they're growing up, they see this sort of thing. Um, they understand that like, Hey, maybe people will evaluate that me that way. Um, that might affect whether or not they want to have a Southern accent or end up having one in adulthood. Yeah, I almost think like Reese Witherspoon.